Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone Executive Editor Nathan Brackett. Today we're going to talk to Billy Joe of Green Day about his new song and upcoming new album. But first, we're going to do our What We're Listening To segment. Where are you going to look for confirmation? And that was a little bit of 22 Over Soon, a new song by Bon Iver. I'm here with Brittany Spanos. What's up, Brittany? Hi, how are you? All right, all right. So th- this is one of two new songs from Bon Iver, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Justin Vernon. He just debuted the entire album, yeah. right? Yeah. So he performed at the festival in Wisconsin that he curates and started Eau Claire. And it's been five years since he's released music under Bon Iver. He's been collaborating with people like Kanye West and um, James Blake and a lot of other projects going on for him. But Five years is, is a long time. Yeah, in, I didn't even in, realize it was five years. In this millennium, five years in music yeah. is like, I mean, this is, a, I mean, of course, for people, most people know who Bon Iver is, but, you know, for people who don't remember the first album, For Emma Forever Ago mm-hmm. was like this, you know, really important album in that late aughts moment of yeah. the Fleet Foxes and Bon Iver, you know, which kind of inspired Mumford and Sons after mm-hmm. that. I mean, this kind of like return to acousticism, yeah, <laughs> if that's a word. Yeah, revival of yeah. like 2000, like seven-ish. <laughs> For sure. And then he had his self-titled album, Bon Iver, Bon Iver, mm-hmm. <laughs> and which then was a little was... more of like an auto-tune, like washed in auto-tune. Yeah slightly more electronic record. And a really good transition to the music that he's making now, too, which is sort of stemming off of that, but it also sounds a lot like the musicians that he's been working with in the past five years. And so the new song, 22 Over Soon, really sounds a lot like James Blake and sort of has that weird uh, droning, almost like emotional electronic sound that Blake is really known for. And so Bon Iver kind of taps into that really well. It's interesting because it almost like draws the line. Like you wouldn't have thought of James Blake, you know, for people who don't know James Blake, he's just, you know, pretty cool British, soulful, electronic based, you know, singer. But he's almost like the British Bon Iver and this song (laughs) from Bon Iver kind of makes that point. Yeah. And it doesn't lose any part of Bon Iver's folk side, which is nice, Um, but it still kind of shows how much he's how different this album is going to be for him and really influenced by a lot of his collaborators and taking it to the next step right now. Right. And then then there's the other song that he released, 10 Death Breast, which really makes that point, which mm-hmm. almost sounds like, it's almost like a Kanye West song. I mean, yeah. not quite, but it has some of the, those moments, like, a, you know, this not martial beat, but this, this like, heartbeat rhythm. A lot of like building of anticipation in the song too and kind of gloomy almost overcast like vibe to the song so right yeah it definitely it's really interesting to see how he's building off of those experiences in between because it feels like he never really went away in those five years between his albums so it's like a 
nice marker of he actually hasn't been releasing his solo music in a while, but like all this other stuff that he's that we've been hearing from him over the past few years has kind of coming all together into these two songs Absolutely. and full album. Yeah, and I don't think his his influence has really diminished. I think a lot of Mm-mm. people are going to be looking forward to this record, so it'll be interesting to yeah. see. The other record that we're talking about is the new song from uh, Ray Shremard. Yeah, uh, Ray Shremard and Gucci Mane released their new song called Black Beatles, which is the best, best song from Shrem Life 2. What in the world was I thinking? New day, new money to be made. There is nothing to explain. I'm a fucking black beetle cream seats in the regal rocking John Lennon lenses like to see him spread a great combination of these two really great southern rap acts and Gucci is sort of the veteran and Ray Shrummer does these like the kids yeah I've heard people who don't know Ray (laughs) Shrummer there's these these two like just tiny guys from Atlanta (laughs) super energetic live shows and really fun to watch yeah and it's funny because Mike Will made it the producer who works with Ray Shrummer so much and has worked with Gucci a lot and brought them together for Black Beatles he sort of crafted this kind of cool rap boy band almost with just the two guys and like but like Black Beatles sort of built off of that and they're sort of talking about this their great success and how when the four of them came together and creating this and becoming the Black Beatles and like his uh, John Lennon you know shades and all <laughs> and, and it's cool it's just got this kind of cool hazy vibe considering like he's talking about his awesome regal you know he's like he's also like talking about it's, it's got this kind of like um Almost Bon Iver chorus. <laughs> Maybe not quite, but it's definitely, it's, it's got that like kind of, like a really cool melodic chorus. And, yeah. yeah. It's a really intoxicating beat and like a really good end of summer vibey song. Very um, August. Yeah. 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 And it was really funny after the song came out, they started posting these memes on their Twitter accounts that were their faces superimposed on um, Beatles album covers. Oh, Yes. Which I urge everyone to go to Twitter <laughs> to see that, yeah. And I think my favorite ones were, like, the Abbey Road, like, album covers. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> yes. Right. yes. So that's, uh, yeah, the new race from her, uh, Black Beatles. Mm-hmm. Brittany Spanos, thanks for coming on. Thank you. And that was Bang Bang, the new song from Green Day. I'm here with Andy Green. What's right. up, Andy? Not much. How you doing? Associate Editor, Rolling Stone. Yep. Andy just talked to Billy Joe Armstrong for the lead rock and roll section piece on Green Day. It's a preview of their new album. Andy, where have Green Day been? Their last album was almost four years ago. Yeah. It's, it has been a sort of a tough four years of sorts. Four years ago, they put out three albums. Their last, it's been four years since their last three albums. Yes. yes. It, they were called Uno Dos Trey. They came out in the fall of 2012, about two months apart. So it was basically a triple album. Yeah. They just a, kind of released in succession. It was yeah. a super ambitious project where each one is a bit different musically. There's like 50 songs or something. I mean, it was just a fire hose of music they put it out. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. And in the middle of it, they played in Las Vegas at this festival or whatever. That's the iHeartRadio yeah. Festival, yeah. And he had a meltdown on stage and was sent Billy to... Billy Joe yes, had a meltdown, meltdown on stage. Right. He was screaming and ranting, and he was sent to rehab. He was taking prescription pills and had a real problem. And he actually talked about his rehab uh, in for the Stone. first time in Rolling Stone. It was a Rolling Stone cover. Yeah. Uh, and some months after that. The tour got postponed, and they couldn't promote the album. And it was sort of a complete fiasco kind of in the middle of their promotion for this album. These three ambitious albums, right. their lead singer had to go away, which right. doesn't help. 
Right, obviously. and yeah. those are very strong albums. I, I'm a big fan of them. It's just, it, it was a lot of stuff to put out There's at the same time. There's a lot to listen to. I would, yeah, I probably would have boiled it down. Rock critics always say in the face of like double or triple albums, oh, it'd yeah. be great as a single album, but right. it was kind of true for me in, that, in, in the case of these albums. Yes, yeah. I would definitely think that's true. They still toured for those three albums. They just were a bit later than they had planned. And when they finished, they were on break, and their touring guitarist Jason White got tonsil cancer, and then their bass player Mike Durant's wife Brittany got breast cancer. Oh man! And, and I mean, Jason White is was practically the fourth member of the band. He, he was, was yeah. sort of the fourth member on Uno Dos Tre because they right. were making so much music at once that they needed a fourth member to right. help. Thankfully, yeah. both Jason White and Brittany are okay. Yes, but obviously th- that kind of put a halt on everything. Yeah, so they didn't get going on their new album. Till about two years ago. Right. And so tell me about the new album. You've heard it. It's not out yet. It'll be out October 7th? Yes. It's called Revolution Radio. Yeah. Uh, tell me about like Bang Bang and what you've heard of the new album. I think what's very clever about it is it's not super ambitious. I think since American Idiot, they keep thinking big. Let's hear it for a lack of ambition. Well, I don't mean it's not musically ambitious. It's just not a huge overthought project. Right. It's, it's not a rock opera. It's right. not three albums. That's the nice way to say it. It's not overthought. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, but I just, would agree. From what I've heard, I heard some yeah, songs too, and it's, it's kind of a, I, I would describe it as like kind of a mix of everything they do well. Yeah, it's a strong rock record that I think fans are going to just love. It's not a real epic thing, which is a nice change of pace. I yeah, think. it's not all like just American idiot, all over, you know, ant, stomp angry right. anthems. There's definitely some anthems, but there's definitely a ballad that might make some people think of time of your life. There's kind of like one pretty fun, early era sounding punk rock song mm-hmm. from what we heard. We just heard like four or five songs. You've heard right. the whole thing. I've heard the whole thing, but the first single is Bang Bang. Right. It's a real provocative song. It's from the perspective of a mass shooter. And it's sort of Billy Joe trying to get into the head of a raging psychopath. And it's just a furious punk rock song. Yeah, it's really really fast, really aggressive. And it goes bang, bang, give me fame, shoot me up to entertain. It sort of talks about social media and the desire for fame and how we cover these mass shootings and everything. I mean, right. But it's, so, but it's also it's super fast and very punky at the same time. And it was written a while ago, but obviously is just as relevant today. Yeah, um, sadly. So um, you talked to Billy Joe about this album. This is the first interview he's done yes. uh, talking about the new album. Why don't we get into that? I mean, the first thing you did, I think it was kind of funny, you started yeah. talking about how you like some of the stuff on Uno Dos Trey. Right. There's so many songs I love on Uno Dos Trey that I really think they deserved a bigger audience and I think one day they'll get that There's, it was just a lot of material at once I think for some people to digest do you think that's right? <laughs> yes you think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I think that there are some really good songs on there um, and I think uh, it's just it's kind of like you said it's just I, if I was to do it over again I'd probably do it the intention was to make it more raw and uh, off the cuff and it, the opposite happened with that record so but I do like the songs. I think it was uh, it was it was a fun record to make. Can you talk a bit about Bang Bang? What inspired it? I mean, I want to put words in your mouth. It seems to be the voice of a shooter, obviously, right? I mean, yeah, it was. Um, it happened, and I, I really want to be respectful of all because I don't want like. But I was so I think with uh, culture of uh, mass shootings, 
mm-hmm. that happens in, in America and sort of mixed with this narcissistic, like, social media where people are not, not they're, it's not only to a point where there's this sort of rage that is, 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 that is happening, but it's also now being filmed and we're sort of, we, we all have ourselves under surveillance. Mm-hmm. So it and which is to me was so it's so twisted, and it's like you get into the to the brain of, of someone like that, and that's what I did was like I sang it from the first person, which was freaky. It freaked me out, and it's like you know you take a couple of days to uh, to write the lyrics from that point of view, and then I think. After I, I wrote it, all I wanted to do was get that out of my brain because it was just so, uh, it was just, it, it freaked you out. Right. So the goal was to sort of get inside the twisted head of somebody that's doing that awful thing and just like, try and understand what their crazy rationale is. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah. I wouldn't even say it was, I was trying to understand it. I, mm-hmm. it, I was just trying to figure out what, um, what the character, whatever it is to, uh, for a person to just, I have no idea. I don't know. You know, I don't know why someone would ever do something that horrific because I know I never would. <laughs> but, uh, but it's just, um, and just sort of to reflect the culture a little bit too, um, without sounding pretentious. But uh, that's what the song is about, really. So you produced this yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. We had Green Day produced it. And so why make that decision when you've had producers on the last bunch of records for almost 20 years? I think you've had producers. Yeah, well, I, I think for us it was just like, let's just get in, the three of us, with our engineer, Chris Dugan, and just um, and do this ourselves, you know? I mean, we've, we've known that we could we could produce our own records for many years, and we have. We have co-produced. Um at this this time, I just wanted to kind of feel the freedom of just going, just depending on ourselves and and, and getting in a room. And I think it's uh, you get there's no in between person that uh, can you can have like basic conversations with each other without uh, and we're forced to sort of be in there with each other. So it's in, it was really interesting to kind of see like every how everybody. Um, uh, interplays with each other and all the creativity and, and things like that. And Trey's, Trey's drumming on this record is, I think, the best he's ever done. And uh, and same with, I have to say the same thing with like Mike's. Mike really got into his musicianship as being a bass player. He even took lessons, and uh, um, it was just really great to kind of see how he how he sort of flourished in those bass lines. I love it when musicians talk about taking lessons as adults. I just, I, I find it really endearing. I love that they talk about just like improving. Yeah, their craft I was sort of like, baffled by that. I've when I was interviewing Neil Pert a few years ago, he was telling me about his drum lessons, and I'm like, really? But you're the guy in Rush. Do you need drum lessons? But I guess Mike, who's an awesome bass player, wanted to get even better. That just it just must be hard being that guy and going to get lessons from some person unless they're like a Zen master or something, I, just saying like, okay. Right, Show I, me how to play this. Yeah, I think often it's like some old hippie, like just sort of guru guy that they that they go learn from. Well, that helped me visualize that. Thank yes, you, sure. Andy. My All pleasure. right. So you, next, you asked uh, Billy Joe about still breathing. Can you tell him about that song and and what you think it might be about? The first time I heard that song, I thought about his experience, how he's post rehab, which was a really intense period for him, and how he has recovered and how he's sort of still breathing. That he's beyond that sort of very difficult time of his life. 
it's sort of fast ballad of sorts, and the refrain is, I'm still breathing. But it turns out, from what he said, it's not totally about his own experience. Uh, can you talk a bit about the song Still Breathing? What inspired that? Gosh, I... I you know, that's a song. I didn't really know what I was going to write about and, and just go, just be honest. Just be honest with yourself and keep it simple. And in doing that, I... Uh, I sort of uncovered just uh, a lot about myself and uh, I think what other people go through with, uh, with losing something but feeling like uh, you gain something where life's just sort of, the chaos of life makes sense. It's like, it's better than perfect. You know, life isn't perfect. It's better than that. It's like, you know, if you can kind of survive through some of the stuff, you find out who you really are whether it's a uh, drug addiction or it's like losing a family member or, uh, you know, dealing with someone that's got some serious personality issues. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it kind of says a lot and, but in a weird way, it's very simple where it's, it goes from the life of a junkie and the gambler to, uh, um, the life of a single mother and, uh, life of a soldier Mm-hmm. Um, and how we're all kind of intertwined with that. Right. I think some fans are going to read it as being about you, but clearly it's more universal. I try to. I don't want to be selfish, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. It's like I'd rather write something that uh, when my eyes are forward, not um, not so much internal. Uh, um, so it's, uh, yeah, I you know, I hope uh, that makes people happy and, and creates a difference in some way. So just, just by recognizing themselves in the song. Right. I know that during this whole time period that Jason got cancer and Mike's wife faced cancer. So how did that shape the whole timeline of this and the emotional experience of the whole thing? I don't think it was with uh, Jason getting sick or with uh, Mike's wife getting sick. It, nothing... I don't feel like I ever tried to, to write something in specific of, about them, but uh, obviously, um, I think as time goes on, um, you know, you start to uh, go, holy shit, you know, life is happening and it, it can get really intense. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's probably uh, that's probably in there in the record for, you know, I, I would imagine, but I would never be as shallow as to write a song about someone's, you know, family crisis or anything. Right, but did, but did those things slow it down? I'm sure there was times in life just obviously he wouldn't be available. He needed to be with his family, right? I mean, did it get to Yeah, we, we, we didn't do anything. I mean, that was first and foremost. You know, these these people are, these are family members as far as I'm concerned. And, and you know, it was, a, it, it's like, I, I didn't want to push anybody to do anything. There's no point. I didn't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, if you're, it's like missing a limb, you know, you can't, I, I can't, I, I can't be creative knowing that, and I wouldn't have the audacity to try to, to be creative in something like that. I mean, they just had to really, we had to look out for each other, for, you know, for, you know, for obvious reasons. You also asked him about uh, the song Revolution Radio, which is the title track of the album. It's kind of a real classic kind of Green Day Angry Anthem. This one kind of sounded like almost American Idiot yeah. style to me. And in that vein, it started tapping into the politics of the time that it was written in. It was written about two years ago when the Black Lives Matter movement was just starting with Ferguson. And it sort of captures that energy and chaos that was erupting in the country back then. 
Let's hear Billy Joe talk about uh, the story behind that. I was in a car coming back from Brooklyn into to Manhattan, and um, there was all the uh, um, the, uh, the protesters for Ferguson that were holding up traffic that went all the way back across the bridge. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I got to where I was staying at, and I could see just on, on 8th Avenue there was all the protesters that were... And so I was just looking out, and um, and I wrote about it at the day after. Um, I walked, I just, I sort of walked out and, and sort of marched with people a little bit, but I was mostly kind of observing and just sort of seeing how, uh, what was happening. And it, it's, it's, it's a trip to watch people just completely rebel against uh, the old order or whatever you want to call it, or the way that things, and trying to get, something to something that's more pure and, and honest and um uh and it's like you, it's like i don't know it was just, i was just watching and it was like this controlled chaos that was going uh, and it was happening all over the country mm-hmm. and uh and just feeling like you know people don't want to feel obsolete in in the things that they care about and uh um so it was uh, it was a, that's sort of what the what the song's about do you miss being on tour? This has been one of the longest breaks of your career, probably, of not being on the road. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely miss it. I can't wait. I mean, it's, it's hard to come home and to, to do nothing because, honestly, you start to feel like you're unemployed and you sort of, and you try to figure out what your purpose is in life. You know, it's like, that's the hardest thing about in-between records. It's like when you, when you take a break, you're taking a break of something that you absolutely love. You know, you're not right. taking a, it's not like, you know, going on vacation uh, because you don't like your job or something like that. And you're just like, God, I need a break. You know, but it's, it's hard because at first it feels great. Uh, and you're like, yes, I can do anything I want. And then suddenly a couple weeks into it and you're like, okay, now what am I going to do? So it's, it's great. We're, we're, everybody's really psyched. Yeah, you know, I've I've seen a lot of your concerts through the years, and there's always a lot of like 13 year old boys there. I see, and I I wonder, do you feel it, a responsibility to these kids because there's so few other rock bands doing it at, at your level that to them you're one of the only sort of like you're you are rock music. You embody the whole genre to so many people because there's not a lot happening now besides you guys on that big level, on the big arena level at least. Um. I think when you get young people that come out, it's—I mean—that's a very rare thing to, to be to have. I don't think—I don't think anybody can like create new fans the way that we do. Honestly, I don't mean it like in a uh, arrogant way at all. It, but it's something that I, I've observed through the years is that you always have a batch of like fifteen to twenty-year-old people. And then suddenly, when you you know, ten years later, you'll get guys, people that'll come up to you that are twenty five, twenty six years old, and go, "Fucking Dookie was my first record, or mm-hmm. Idiot was my first record, or Nimrod was my first record." And uh, I, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure that that's going to happen again. But every time we put out a new album, that it always happens, and it's freaking awesome. So it's like, I think. The crazy thing, too, is the fact that we, we not only do we see uh, young kids, but it goes all the way up to, like, people in their 40s that, you know, there's people that, you know, will come up to me and say, I saw you play 
freaking McGregor's in Illinois in 1992. And you're like, you know, that's amazing. That's an amazing feeling because, you know, maybe they haven't been by or or stuck to you because, you know, life takes you in all these different places. So they, you know, but they always come back at at some point. And then it's, it's a pretty amazing feeling. You know, and and you always hear cynics say that rock is dead, and I always say, look, I just saw Green Day at the Garden, and and it didn't feel dead to me. I mean, it was it, it felt pretty alive. So you're really carrying the torch in a lot of ways. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, it's I, that's just such a broad stroke, absurd thing to say of about course. any genre of music. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like. I, you, you know, it's like uh, air is dead. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, water is dead. I don't know. It's like they, it's. I, I just. I don't get it. I don't understand why yeah. people even say something right. that's so broad like that. And it makes no sense. You I know. you know the past four years there were pretty challenging parts for you and the band. It was a difficult time. But how do you all like feel now? You, I'm sure it feels great to be on the other end of all that shit and, and the album's done and the tour starts soon. Do you feel good? Yeah, I feel great. I feel like uh, I mean honestly, I feel better than I ever have in my life. Um, you know, I'm so just grateful for. You know, having this band that's been around for over 25 years, and uh, you know, I've been in a relationship for 22 years, and um, you know, my 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 sons are doing great, and they're good people, and I love hanging out with them, and they seem like they always say they love hanging out with me. (laughs) It's uh, I have no, uh, yeah, I mean, everything is cool. It's a great time to be able to go onto a record to feel like this. It's a great time to be Billy Joe Armstrong. And that's uh, all of the interview we're going to play today. The full story is in the latest issue of Rolling Stone and on rollingstone.com. Uh, mm-hmm. It's by Andy Green. I encourage everyone to read it. Andy, thanks for coming on. No problem. And that's it for Rolling Stone Music Now. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.